This year marks the 70th anniversary of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In 1946, the CDC, which back then stood for Communicable Disease Center, launched to fight malaria. Today, things have come full circle for the agency as its scientists work around the clock to combat Zika virus, a largely mosquito-borne infection, while also grappling with chronic diseases, an opioid epidemic, superbugs, and more, all while contending with budget shortfalls. I'm Jennifer Abbasi with JAMA Medical News. Today, we're talking with CDC Director Tom Frieden about fighting Zika and other challenges the nation's public health agency faces in the months and years ahead. I began by asking Dr. Frieden what the CDC learned from the recent Ebola outbreak and how those lessons are informing how the agency is dealing with Zika. There are a series of really important things that Ebola showed us. First, countries around the world need to get better at finding, stopping, and preventing health threats. That's what the global health security agenda is all about, improving laboratory systems, disease detective systems, rapid response systems, surveillance and monitoring systems. At CDC, we've helped more than 40 countries develop their own systems for rapid detection and control. But we also know that the world has to be ready to surge in when a country is overwhelmed. In the U.S., we need to have an infectious disease rapid response fund so that when there is an emergency, we can draw on existing dollars and legal authorities to respond rapidly. Do you think the CDC will be able to help to contain Zika in the continental United States so it doesn't turn into an outbreak? Well, we already have an outbreak in one particular community in Miami. We don't think the environment in the U.S. makes it likely that we'll see widespread Zika transmission in the continental U.S., but we do expect that we will see occasional cases and rare clusters of Zika. In Miami, where it's got a foothold in this one neighborhood, it's going to be very difficult to get rid of because the Aedes aegypti mosquito is hard to knock down. It's hard to eliminate. It breeds in the amount of water that fits in a bottle cap. The eggs can last a year. It lives indoors and out and very low numbers of them can sustain infections in a community. So what's the plan for Miami in the coming months? Well, we've told pregnant women to avoid travel to this one-mile area. We've advised women who are living there, who are pregnant, to do everything possible to avoid mosquito bites. And we're doing very aggressive mosquito control. The state of Florida, Miami-Dade County, and ourselves agreed on a plan for the aerial application of both an insecticide that kills adult mosquitoes and a larvicide to kill the larval forms. They've been very proactive. They've already applied aerial insecticide twice in the first week after documenting transmission, and they've already begun the larvicide application as well. We also go house to house to make sure that uh, we do everything possible to eliminate standing water. And what's the forecast for Puerto Rico? How do you foresee being able to contain Zika there, and when will that happen? Zika is going to be very difficult to control in Puerto Rico. We recommended aerial spraying, as we did in Miami, for a variety of reasons that has not been undertaken. Uh, We don't see other vector control or mosquito control interventions being likely to turn the tide of the number of Zika infections. A vaccine is at least a year or two away. And getting rid of standing water in a tropical environment is a Herculean endeavor. 
Shifting gears, how do you see the burden of non-communicable chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, and obesity changing in the coming decades? Non-communicable diseases are now the leading causes of illness, injury, disability, and death in the U.S., and it's our responsibility as a public health agency to address them as well. Tobacco remains the leading preventable cause of death in the U.S., and uh, we've made progress, but we have a lot more progress to make, and there are risks on the horizon, including different forms of tobacco that may be getting a new generation of Americans addicted. In heart health, we don't do nearly as well as we should as a country. Only 54% of Americans with high blood pressure have it under control, and 90% of the people with their blood pressure not under control have health insurance. They're in programs like Medicare, but they're not being adequately, intensively treated. Because of that, we're seeing about 1,000 deaths a day that hypertension contributes to and an annual cost of more than $300 billion, let alone the personal tragedy that a preventable heart attack or stroke represents. Have we made any real progress on the epidemic of obesity? And how can the CDC fight against what feels like an uphill battle? We have made some progress against obesity. We've seen, for example, breastfeeding increase. We've seen decreases in childhood obesity in many states. The WIC program really improved the quality of nutrition being provided to young children. But we don't know how to turn this epidemic around. We know that it's not our genes because it changed in a generation. Childhood obesity tripled, adult obesity doubled. And we're going to change it back by changing the environment. That means leveraging opportunities, whether it's in the workplace or healthcare facilities or the marketplace or communities, to figure out what works and then to scale those things up. We have to make the default choice the easy choice. We have to make it easier for people to do healthy things, whether that's walking or biking or having healthier food, drinking water or other zero-calorie beverages. This all has to get easier so that if you go with the flow, you don't end up overweight or obese. Now, are there any laboratory science projects happening at the CDC that you're particularly excited about? We've been very excited by the Advanced Molecular Detection Initiative. This is a $30 million a year initiative now in year three of five. This uses new, powerful pathogen detection techniques to find outbreaks sooner and respond faster. With the Zika work, I've been just astonished by the high quality of the laboratory work going on. Our Zika lab experts created the laboratory tests that are being used for Zika. They produced them in the one million volume, provided them to 100 labs around the U.S., 100 countries around the world, continue to tweak them so we can increase their sensitivity and specificity. So we've got enhancements happening continuously. We used virus-like particles to create an IgM Mac ELISA and be able to create that in batches of 500,000. The group there created a chimeric virus combining the more rapidly growing West Nile virus along with the Zika antigens to be able to create a faster method of doing plaque reduction and neutralization assay. So it's very exciting to see this rapid cycle innovation and creativity. The lab in Puerto Rico was able to create a trioplex PCR that tests at one go for the key viruses in addition to Zika that people are at risk for. So this has been very impressive to see 
in real time of an emergency response, how there has been not just the creativity, but connecting that with the real world and making large volumes of test materials to be provided to labs around the country, around the world for standardized, high-quality testing. As we talk about this exciting Zika science, Congress is locked in a stalemate over Zika funding. So how do you deal with politics getting in the way of science and public health? We do the best we can with the resources we're provided. The more funding we're provided, the more authority we're provided, the more people we can help. There are things that we haven't been able to start because the supplemental didn't come through, including better ways to control mosquitoes, better ways to diagnose Zika, and more intensive long-term follow-up of the infants born to women who were infected with Zika during pregnancy. We really don't have any idea what's going to happen to the tens of thousands of infants who have been born to women who were infected with Zika when those infants don't have microcephaly, whether they will have normal, healthy neurological development or serious problems, we don't know, and we urgently need to know. What role do you think the CDC should have in preventing gun violence? We have a surveillance system in place to monitor for all violent deaths, called the National Violent Death Reporting System. We have to look at what does the data show and whether legislatures act on that data is not a CDC issue. That's a political issue for legislatures to decide. But there is science in gun violence, and we would like to have additional dollars to do additional research to understand more fully how we could reduce gun violence. That's been a request in the president's budget for each of recent years, and Congress has opted not to fund that research. What is the greatest goal you hope to accomplish during your tenure as the CDC director? What do you hope to leave as your legacy? Well, there are general things and there are specific goals that we have, like ending polio forever, preventing a million heart attacks and strokes through the Million Hearts Initiative, turning the tide on the opioid epidemic, beginning to get an even better handle on the HIV epidemic, reducing teen pregnancy and motor vehicle crashes, turning the obesity epidemic around, achieving, as we have, the lowest proportion of U.S. smokers in U.S. history. So we've seen progress on many of those specific efforts, but the more general issue is ensuring that CDC continues for the long term as a scientifically rigorous, independent, technical agency that has operational excellence on the ground throughout the U.S. and throughout the world. Thank you so much, Dr. Frieden. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I'm Jennifer Abbasi with JAMA Medical News. For our entire catalog of podcasts, visit us online at JAMA.com.